season three, Manana. season three, Manana. somebody hates it, season three, Manana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C, with Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie, it's so much fun that you'll have to pee, it's gonna cure your apathy, and on we, it's the Slumgullions, we're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullions, you're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullions, Hello and welcome to another edition of the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I am Jeff and I have a candle that smells like Brad Pitt's dick. Three hours behind me is Scott and he's debating whether or not to ask me what it smells like. It's not what I would call a spirited debate. In fact, uh, once I just forfeited. Welcome back, folks. Today is our general bullshit session. We're just going to talk about a couple of random things that are happening in the universe. First off, have you got the coronavirus yet? I have to admit, I'm kind of a late adopter. I wait for them to work the bugs out of it. I mean, right now, it's like got a 2% fatality rate. And uh, those are terrible odds. When they change the name to Captain Trips, head to the hills. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> now, um, we, we have a couple of things to talk about today. There have been several other episodes of Picard since we, since we started talking about it. So we're going to discuss Picard a little bit more. But first, I want to discuss something that until recently was fairly near and dear to both of our hearts. Star Wars. Yeah. Have you heard the news? Uh, let me see. Is this news that will excite or depress me? Because if it's the latter, I've heard almost nothing but that lately. I don't know. I'm kind of excited by it, actually. Okay, well, there's a good chance I will be, too. Tell me, I could use a little sunshine. Well, they made an announcement, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, about a new era of Star Wars storytelling. Star Wars storytelling sounds good. I know it, ha it, it is. It has been few and far between recently. They are doing something starting in, I believe, August. It's going to be across multiple platforms. Several different companies are releasing books, comic books, and, and the like. No, no films as of yet. Right now, they're saying this is its own thing. They don't want to interrupt the TV shows or the movies. But So this is going to be a print-only shared universe so far. But it is called The High Republic. <laughs> this sounds, yes, it sounds ahead, make just, I don't know, i just going to be honest. If it doesn't star Cheech and Chong in their long awaited comeback, I don't really care. You see, I, I thought the exact same thing when I heard the phrase, but... Well, first it, of all, Cheech and Chong already sound like Star Wars characters. I mean, Tag and Bink meet Cheech and Chong. I mean, that writes itself. Special appearance by Kit Fisto. <laughs> now then... Any um, appearance you... by Kit Fisto is by definition special <laughs> now i actually do kind of like this concept apparently they did a video to announce this and i don't know if this was in the video or if this was just in the 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 print press release that star wars put out but it began with the quote from old ben kenobi from a new hope excuse me star wars where he says for over a thousand generations the jedi knights were guardians of peace and justice in the old republic and the high republic is the Jedi Knights at the height of their power. It takes place 200 years before the Phantom Menace. So before they became stupid cushion warmers who just sat around their clubhouse and dicked around. Yeah, this is all about they're exploring the galaxy. 
Okay. They're actually exploring, and 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 um, it's about supposedly it's a, it's all about adventure. And the two things that that they're that they were using is a tent. Apparently, they brought all of these writers together, and they had two like retreats where they hashed out the entire what the universe was going to be like. They even had I don't know if they had Doug Chang, who's been designing things for forever, but they had concept artists like design the ships and the robots and and the costumes, so they know what this era of the Star Wars universe is going to look like. And they wanted to show, A, the Jedi Knights at the height of their power, and B, they had the question, what scares the Jedi? Now, what that means, I have no freaking idea. I mean, I thought it was the Sith, but apparently there is a new big bad. Yeah, really? Yeah, I do not know. I do not know what they're called. Well, technically, I guess they'd be an old big bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there, there is there is a new big bad, and they're all apparently all of the writers are really excited about this because you know this is like a completely this is a brand new universe as one of the writers interviewed they are thrilled being able to create a new star wars universe that remains true to star wars where have we heard that before yes but this is not going to tie in any way shape or form to palpatine or the skywalkers yeah they say that but they said that before i just hope this big bad isn't that i mean i know that came canonically after the fall of the Empire. But what was that stupid alien race that came from outside the galaxy? Oh, the Yuzen Vong. Thank you. I hope it's not something like that. Um, I'm out of faith. My faith is exhausted. Uh, see, my faith is not exhausted yet, mainly because of the Mandalorian. That's the Mandalorian a good... restored my faith. Now, granted, like I said, I like the West Jedi, but I have problems with it. I have no real problems with the Mandalorian. That sums up my feelings uh, pretty that well. That sums too. it up. The interesting thing about yeah. this to my ear, when I hear this, I'm thinking, okay, I get that you'd hire a bunch of comic book writers and artists and you would get some sort of style guide. But the fact that they have concept art for things like ships and droids makes me wonder, have they been rocked back on their heels so far that they are reluctant to take another billion dollar dive off the cliffs at Acapulco with another movie franchise without some sort of... You know how snack companies will do stealth releases of products in the Midwest? Like, yes. Bacon A's is suddenly available in Akron and nowhere else. I wonder if this is if this is sort of Star Wars's Bacon A's. You know, if they're thinking, okay, books and comic books. What are you what are you tearing into there? I was putting a pack of cancer. I'll pay a pack of cancer. New farm to table cancer. Fresh from the tobacco fields of North Carolina, delivered straight to your lungs by the same people who brought you Amazon Fresh and Grubhub. Now in the convenient tube-sized dispenser. Ah, damn it. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Books, comic books, all of these ancillary and subsidiary markets are fairly low risk as far as the capitalization they require. They're not like motion pictures, which are these huge global behemoths and suck up money like nobody's business and can bankrupt the country if it goes wrong. Not Disney. I think Disney is too big to fail, literally, at this point. But... I'm wondering if they're going to be soft peddling, test marketing, some new concepts, some new storylines, new characters, seeing what clicks with the fandom, and then exploiting the hell out of them 
in in movies because i think as far as movies are concerned they are at a dead stop they really don't know what to do next well they still have they still have three movies on the schedule first one coming in 2022 so they say so they say but come on we know that kevin feige is 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 going to be behind the scenes one so we know that one's going to be made i still want ryan johnson's trilogy really I do. I really, really do. I'm very interested to see what he would do with his own characters in that universe. Well, let's see. We went to Space Vegas. Maybe this time we'll go to uh, Space Branson and we'll uh, gamble and then we'll watch. (laughs) We'll go see a show at uh, Space Yakov Smirnov's Theater. I was going to say Space Dollywood. Space Dollywood I would actually go to happily. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know. Johnson seemed like he was more interested in his own ideas than in any of the pre-existing ideas. I, it's weird. It's like the the Last Jedi gave a big middle finger to the Force Awakens, which is fine. You can certainly see why someone might want to do that. And then this last one, the shambles, it was the Rise of Skywalker, was just like middle fingers pumping away at everybody, at Ryan Johnson, at the audience, at Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, it was just a festival of middle fingers flying everywhere. You can see why they call it the bird. And, uh, well, it's never going to happen. I mean, he's so reviled, which I think is unfair because I, I, I do. I did like a lot of things in The Last Jedi. I did like a lot of his ideas, but I think he still has this small movie mindset. I mean, he did great stuff. Looper's a terrific film. It's a fantastic film. Part of it, I freaking, I love, have you seen Knives Out? Yes, I have. Did you like Knives Out? I loved Knives Out. Mary loved Knives Out. And we haven't talked. We never talked about Knives Out. Right. I didn't even know you saw it. Oh, oh, my God. That film was amazing. It was amazing. It was funny. It was, for me, impossible to predict where it was going. It was a, a morally nuanced look at social commentary in a genre. And it was, again, big ideas in a small container. It was basically an old dark house mystery. Most of the movie took place in that house. And yes. just as Looper, I think, dealt with some very big sci-fi ideas in a, in a small, low-budget arena. And I don't think he has mentally gotten out of it. Maybe that's just just his métier. Maybe that's perhaps where he is most comfortable pitching his material at that particular zone. Because when you think about it, The Last Jedi, a huge amount of the plot hinges on them running out of gas. Yes. I mean... (laughs) You are not wrong. If you're watching that film and there's a good hour where you're going... Gee, I I hope they find a space gas station soon. You know what it reminded me of? My sister was going to grad school in Wyoming, and she had driven a friend down as far as Denver. I flew into Denver, and then I drove back with her because it was a dead of winter. And we went through every single kind of meteorological condition you could imagine. Rain, freezing rain, fog, black ice. We went through snow. We went through sleet. I mean, the world seemed to be trying to discourage mailmen. And... Finally, we, I, I thought I had gotten the, the rhythm of her car pretty well. I, I go, oh, we can go this far. This is fine. And I misjudged it once. And we were in the wilds of where the hell were we? I guess we were driving across Nevada. And we had gotten to a point where I was looking desperately for any sort of rest stop, gas station, truck stop, any sign of civilization at all. And my sister had fallen asleep. And I was just watching the gas gauge. And it was going down and it was going down. And I was just looking around. There's nothing out here. And there's no cars. Why did I take this road? And then she woke up and she looked over at me. And she goes, oh, where are you? Go, I, I don't know. We're fine. She goes, are you okay? Yeah. Well, why? I don't know. You look so- I'm not. I'm not tense at all. 
And then I finally, I finally admitted we, we were probably going to run out of gas and then die of exposure. Didn't happen. But instead, you found the Hidden Valley Lodge, met a guy named Torgo, and had a really fun evening. Oh, yeah. Torgo can party. By the way, not to be pedantic, but it was Valley Lodge. Oh, was, sorry. Hidden Valley Lodge was the Satanist complex that made salad dressing. I was going to make a salad dressing joke. You beat me to it. Nicely done, Scott. Thank you. My day is complete. <laughs> so the, the Lost Jedi kind of reminded me of that drive. And aside from the fact that a long stretch of it had to do with them running out of gas, and another long stretch of it was, I don't know, like the, you know a slightly better than average episode of the Robert Urich series Vegas, there was a lot in The Last Jedi that I liked. And I would have liked to have seen where the next film would have gone absent Carrie Fisher's death, as everybody would. But I feel like there's a lot of a lot of what's wrong with Star Wars now is what the NTSB would call pilot error. It didn't have to crash. However, you can't deny that the flaps are falling off. I mean, this franchise seems cursed. Uh, and I was going to say ever since George Lucas uh, sold it. But then I remember The Phantom Menace. Uh, that whole trilogy, that whole trilogy. I'm sorry, people who were who were, go- were sitting there going back, going the pre- the prequel trilogy is not that bad. You're wrong. It depends on what your definition of that is, because it is unquestionably, undeniably, empirically bad. There are degrees of bad, of course. I would say this is just my opinion that the Revenge of the Sith is not as bad as the Phantom Menace. Actually, I would agree with you on that. Revenge of the Sith is the best. Right. Isn't that really saying anything? Well, it depends on your definition of best. Let us not forget that I believe it's post-George Lucas we had Rebels. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, TV has been where Star Wars has thrived. Exactly. You know, I think Clone Wars was very good. It was one of those things that kept the fandom not necessarily satisfied because we all wanted more movies, but it kept the fandom engaged. It kept the pilot light alive. And uh, Rebels, I think, was an even bigger step toward getting that Star Wars mojo back. And part of it was just that Filoni and his crew had learned from, from Clone Wars a lot about storytelling and especially storytelling in the Star Wars universe. Now, the fact that Filoni is getting involved in the live action stuff, if, if only the TV side so far, also gives me hope. I mean, I'm looking forward to Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie and John Favreau has already shown that he has mad Star Wars chops and yes. F- Filoni too is taking a hand and he he has an impressive track record. So I haven't given up hope on Star Wars, but I can see why they're shell-shocked and bringing in a bunch of writers from different disciplines. But you know what that reminds me of? Mm-hmm. After 9-11, the Bush administration called in, I'm not kidding you, a bunch of science fiction authors and a bunch of action movie screenwriters into a conference in the Pentagon and had them pitch ways that terrorists might attack America. Some way that we wouldn't think of, the general huffed and puffed. Wait, this is an actual thing? I always thought that was a joke. No, no, that was it an actual... It actually happened? Yes, it did. Wow, okay. And this... This move by Disney feels like it has uh, a taste of that same energy. That same, we're out of ideas and out of our depth. Let's see what Harlan Ellison has to say. Oh, he's dead. It doesn't matter. He'll still have something to say. Exactly. You cannot shut that guy up. God bless you, Harlan. God God bless you. (laughs) 
<laughs> not that you would agree with that phrase. No, not at all. But sp- speaking of genre stuff that angers the 30-year-old fanboys with beards, so I've been watching the new season of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, bailed out of that last season, but I hear it's rankled some hackles. Well, now, my, now I, I, en- I enjoyed last season. I didn't, li- I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. This season, I have been freaking loving. Really? They brought back the Master. It's a new incarnation of the Master, and first appearance was in the pilot, and it was a brilliant. They complete the BBC was able to completely keep this a secret. So when it happened, I mean, my jaw dropped. I was so glad I stayed off of Twitter when it premiered, because otherwise it would have been completely spoiled for me. But the, the guy they have playing the Master now is just an absolute joy. You know, it's uh, let me just recommend to uh, genre fans. That if you're going to follow writers, bloggers, podcasters who have an interest in things like Doctor Who, follow the Brits because the Brits know how to keep a secret. There's several I follow. Dave Probert, for one, who's been on our show. Dave knows how to make an oblique damn reference on Twitter. Yes, yes. He is is a true former overlord. He knows how to do it. He'll address some sort of preemptive remark to the neckbeards. And I go, oh, I didn't see this, but now I at least want to know what it is. Texting Jeff, what the, what's Dave talking about? It's usually hilarious neckbeard bait. So I am not surprised necessarily that the neckbeards are not over the female Doctor Who, that they haven't just given up and accepted it. But um, I'm a little jealous of the excess energy they have to spend on things like this. Thankfully, though, they probably only have one more year because she is definitely signed on for 13. And if, if it follows the um, last several Doctors, that will be her last season. Because remember, both Tennant and Aldi have all, all did three seasons each. Oh, that's right. If this follows this whole reboot, so not reboot, but you know, the, the um, reemergence of Doctor Who, if it follows, they'll find something new to complain about in about two years. The thing that I'm really that I'm loving about this season because of the overarching storyline that they've actually put in this season as opposed to last year, which n- nothing was connected, Jodie Whittaker's dark, uh, Doctor has gotten darker. Whereas last season, she was very much, you know, a, a positive, you know, very, very positive, the, 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 a paragon of positivity, if you will. This season, that the, the Doctor's darkness has been seeping in, and oh my God, she is fucking killing it. They have made her doctor a lot more interesting by giving her an edge this year. I kind of liked the positivity, if only because it was a relief from the grumpiness of Peter Capaldi. And 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 you are not wrong. I agree with you on that. But now, giving after a season of positivity, giving Jodie Whittaker a chance to play, you know, the darker aspects of the character, it's she's nailing it. Well, she does have a lot of range, and I am glad they're exploring it. And I kind of is sound. It seems inevitable because as positive as you as one can be determined to act, when you look at the situation, I mean, just. I was just on Twitter. You look at the, the way women are treated on Twitter and what they have to do with. Yeah. Even the most positive woman is going to reach the point where she can't even with your shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and this season, the over the overarching story of the season is is definitely I like the, the the series finale is on this coming Sunday, and after the part one, I was just like, the cool thing about the the finale is. 
There has not been any word about whether the companions have signed on for next year. All we've heard is that Jody has, has re-signed on. Okay. So the, we get into part one of the two-part finale, and there is a real sense of danger. Any of the, any of the companions could die. Yeah, then people start working. It's working. It is working. I mean, I was on the edge of my fucking seat in this episode, and best of all, best of all, they brought back the Cybermen, and for the first time and i would say years the cybermen are scary it's been a while this was a genuinely intense scary episode in parts the cybermen are a real fucking threat this time i think the last time i was actually well it was a david Tennant episode but i think the last time i was really really scared by the cybermen i think was in torchwood Ooh, you know, okay. you know what i'm talking about there were some yep. episodes of torchwood where it was just they, they did not shirk. I'm sorry. The entire the entire Children of Earth. Yeah. That entire miniseries, I think, is one of the that ranks up there with not not just as the best Torchwood, but just some of the best fucking sci-fi. I loved that miniseries with how, a great performance by Peter Capaldi. I did love how dark Torchwood was, and it was witty, but it was dark and. I mean, how could it not be when basically your main character is someone who has had immortality wished upon them? It's like, that's got to (laughs) be, it's got to be hard to deal with. I mean, the doctor's conditional semi-immortality is is, is a natural state for them. It's like, I, I, I had a friend who grew up blind to one eye, didn't even realize it until she was like six. She thought that's just the way the world looked. But there, there was a melancholy tone to Torchwood that yes. I, that really appealed to me. I think that's part of what I, part of the reason I wasn't completely on board with the last episode of Doctor Who, because it was a little too strenuous in its efforts to be winning. And I'm not talking about the Doctor herself. I'm just talking about the whole tone of the show. It seemed like the, the stakes were low. And I don't know, I just I had a hard time. I will tell you, Scott, I think Chibnall did that purposefully, considering what's going on this season. Okay, so you think there was a setup for where they were I heading. really do. Maybe I, I should get back into it. If, if the darkness that's inherent in the Doctor, which is another something else I like about the character. I mean, I like the Doctor's optimism and decency, but I also like the fact that if you live long enough, you're going to see some shit that you can never unsee. And that's mm-hmm. going that's going to worm its way into your psyche and either become melancholy or just hollow out your soul. And which way you go I mean, is a constant struggle. Which is something about the doctor that's interesting. Maybe I should get back on board if if they she's exploring that now. The tone might be something to that use I use a phrase to. to use a phrase used in the Matt Smith era, especially towards the end, like especially in this last episode, the oncoming storm. Hmm. Okay. The uh, if you remember from the Matt Smith era, the oncoming storm is rearing its ugly head. Ah. Uh, speaking of Matt Smith, when I was in. Portland over the holidays. My sister is a big fan of The Crown and wanted to introduce that to me. So we binged a lot of it. And it's so odd seeing Matt Smith play a human being. Uh, I mean, he has slightly exaggerated inhuman features. Not grotesque. I mean, you know, his his chin and his head shape is really more Bruce Campbell than Robert Zadar. But... He does sort of look like 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 he was built by a machine that sort of had an idea of what a human being looked like. You know, all the parts are there, but the proportions are just a little odd. And then you see him playing an actual person in The Crown. A- admittedly, he's playing, you know, 
Prince Philip. So we do want to argue he actually, you know, he's actually a person or another another weird construct. That's as may be. But it's like, oh, I, I, I keep forgetting how good he was because he's just he was sort of this constant splashy presence in his years. He was very swashbuckling. I really wish... I really wish I would have been able to see to see him play Patrick Bateman in American Psycho the musical. Uh, that's a really specific wish. Was that well, was that going to happen at some point? It happened. Oh, it did. Oh, oh, he played Pat. Wait, there's a musical version of American Psycho. Yeah, Duncan Sheik, who is Duncan Sheik. Um, Are you kidding me? Duncan Sheik. Really? He wrote it. Yeah, Duncan Sheik did the did the did the book did the uh, musical lyrics for American Psycho the musical. Yes. Wow. I'm glad you know who Duncan Sheik is. That makes well, me happy. Well, he, he he had a, he had some stupid top forty hit years and years ago. I have several of his albums, and plus he did the musical Spring Awakening. So he's he 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 has been he's he's made a very popular musical before American Psycho, not as popular, but yeah, he did it. And uh, Matt Smith originated the role in London. And he actually came over and played it on Broadway for a short time, I believe, as well. I wonder why only for a short time. Because it probably only ran for a short time. I think the show lasted that long. And I think think even if it lasted longer than him, he was brought on as kind of like a special guest. Okay. And it may may have been because he had to go off and film something else. I don't know. But I mean, I I don't know if he was there for the whole run of for a short time. But yeah, yeah. Matt Smith played Patrick Bateman in the musical American Psycho. And I really kind of wish I would have seen it. That would have been a fun to see him do. I agree although i and to hear him sing i want to hear him sing now yes i'm very curious about that although i don't know that i would like to sit through a musical version of american psycho well okay there is that yes all right before we go i got one more thing we want to talk about we are officially at the halfway mark for season one of um old and brain dead i'm sorry picard (laughs) sorry (laughs) oh you're not even slightly sorry not at all. And now that we are at the halfway point, especially with the last episode, Stardust City Rag, um, I wanted to get your opinion on the first half of season one so far. Are you still enjoying it in spite of itself? I am. In fact, I'm enjoying it more now, even more in spite of myself. I thought I would try to hang with it, but it was a 50-50 proposition. And now I'm pretty sure, unless it takes a really infuriating detour at some point, that I'm probably going to hang for the rest of the season. Because it's, it is, it has catered to my anti-Picard sentiments very nicely, very adroitly. It has circumvented my prejudices, my biases, my rage, and uh, turned in some, some decent trek. I'm I'm enjoying it, especially this last episode, man. I mean, from that from that opening eyeball removal to, as I told you in, in text before you watch the episode, my absolute one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek history. That conversation between Seven of Nine and Picard about humanity. Yes, as I told you, one of the things that I hate about Picard is his constant speechifying. And this time, he basically cut to the fucking chase. He got the whole speech out in essentially a line. One pithy exchange. And we're out of the scene. That was very impressive. And again, that's what I'm saying. They, they're, um, they're catering <laughs> to, to those of us who, who have some problems. with. No, they're not. They are acknowledging that Picard is known for certain foibles. And they are either making fun of them or they are they are evading them. And- oh, and 
Uh, real fast, real fast. I didn't get to ask you when we briefly talked about the episode after you watched it, but I have to ask, what did you think of Picard as the French pirate? Okay, first of all, I'm watching this, and I looked away for a moment because my cat came in, and she was getting into something. Go, oh, get out of that, get out of that. And I look back at the screen, and I'm going, okay, what? Why did Picard suddenly turn into Danger Mouse? <laughs> and then he... Opens his gob and this ripe, runny French cheese of an accent comes out. Like, okay, so you're a Frenchman who also finds the French laughable. It was the weirdest stamp. It's like, wait. Did they all get, was there like a rap party and they all got drunk and, and raided the costume trunk and dressed up? And then somebody just filmed it, and somehow that guy wound up in the show. But apart from, and, and as I told you, that should not have worked at all. That should have been amazingly stupid, but it was hysterical. It was hysterical, and uh, certainly explains why why Picard was not encouraged to go on more uh, covert ops and uh, undercover missions. <laughs> my, my favorite moment in that entire sequence is that one little line that made me happy. Rios with the hat in 79. It needs a feather. She was not wrong. No, she was not. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I look at this future and I think, man, there's so, it's like post-scarcity. They've got replicators they've got an exhaustible fuel they've got faster than light travel what do we have at all that this future doesn't have and i think oh that's right we've got superfly it's really all we can say <laughs> and now they've got that <laughs> that whole sequence oh yeah, my it's god like, that really, was so, just so yeah, hysterical i was telling you they had they had a halloween party on the sound stage where they're shooting picard rios went as superfly picard went as danger mouse and they just got drunk and somehow wound up in the show. It was different. Now, I, I liked Seven to Nine as a character. as we, you know, We've talked about this before. I just, I thought she was an odd choice for uh, lubricious fanboys to to uh, rub themselves over. Because like I said, I mean, it was, it, was, it was the 90s. And granted, everyone was on dial-up, but you could get porn. You, you didn't have to get it from a tall, mannish woman in a cat suit. But they gave Jerry Ryan some good material in this episode, and she went for it. I give her credit. A, the scene at the beginning when she ki when she kills Echeb. I'm ignoring the eyeball removal scene, but when she actually kills Echeb, that was just, that was some strong shit. And oh man, the look on her face when she goes back in and destroys everybody at the end. <laughs> Yes, that was very badass. And I don't think she's getting her humanity back anytime soon. No, and thankfully, even though she's gone, I've heard she's in more than just that episode. So she should be coming back at some point in the back half. Good, because so far she's she's one of the strongest characters. I mean, I had to sort of roll my eyes when we find out what Raffi's deal is. Oh, you know, the black woman had substance abuse problems and neglected her child. Well, what a fresh take. Thanks. Thanks for that. Even in the future. I didn't we, think we of it quite that way, but now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, you're right. Oh, such an eye roll moment. Ugh. But anyway, speaking of eye roll, you warned me before I watched it that the first scene of this was a little rough. And good, <laughs> good God, less, less Star Trek than Saw meets Hellraiser. That, 
That was some strong stuff. I'm glad we talked about it because I didn't recognize Ichab because I had my watching of Voyager was spotty. There's whole stretches of it that I, I just couldn't handle. So he he was one of the Borg children that they rescued, which. Yes. So that that explained why she said why she weepingly said my child as she fired a phaser bolt through his body. Retrospectively, making it even more poignant. Um, yes. I never, you know, I never thought of Jerry Ryan as a really, as a terribly strong actor. Uh, she was fine, but it, it, Seven of Nine didn't require a tremendous well, that amount of range. Well, was the thing, range. they never, they never gave her anything. They never really gave her anything. This is the first time Star Trek has really given her something. Yeah, because she was there for sex appeal. And yes. now that we're all a little older, although she looks great, she's not uh, necessarily pinup material age anymore. And certainly the, the people who were fans of Voyager are no longer at the got a fap five times a day age, so they can maybe explore some other themes besides Fappy. <laughs> the scene where, where she said, after you were severed from the collective, did you feel like you got your humanity back? And I have to say, I wanted to slap Picard because he said yes in this sort of, I'm so much better than you kind of way, which is so Picard. And, and she said all of it. And he said, no, oh, but we're working on it. And I, I said, okay, so Picard has always got this silver lining. He's always got, no, you got, you know, you got to reach for the better angels of your nature. And usually there would be some whole big, boring speech before that. But that said it all. That was one of the best exchanges. And both actors were giving a lot in that scene. There was a lot that was going on just in their eyes between the two yeah, of them. Yes. Yes. No, that was, like I said, that is one of my favorite scenes, I think, in Star Trek. So well done. <laughs> And then she goes down to the uh, to Vegas and murders everybody. So goes, oh, all right, well, <laughs> she's working on it. She's just not working on it as hard as him, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I, I'm I'm with him. I mean, I was pretty much knew I was going to watch the whole season after watching the pilot, but after this latest episode, I'm like, all right. Just let's we're we're at the halfway point now. I I want I want to see where this ends, especially after they killed fucking Maddox. I genuinely thought Maddox, while well, may not be the big bad, but was actually going to be a character in the back cap, and then he fucking dies midway through. I genuinely do not know where the show is going, and that kind of excites me. Yeah, because the the season was structured as a quest. I mean, in fact. Picard said in the previous episode when, when he recruited the kid as his bodyguard, the Romulan ninja, male nun, he said, will you bind your sword to my quest? And I'm going, oh, this is yep. very chivalric. I guess they're going to, this is what's going to drive the narrative for the next shows, the next few shows until they reach the, the finale. And nope, nope. They find him. Bruce, thank God. Oh, you're dead. And then there's a big betrayal. <laughs> yep. And there's a big betrayal. So... I have to say, I'm not ahead of the show at all. Which for Star Trek isn't something I felt since Deep Space. No. It, most Star Trek episodes, if you can't tell in the, at the end of the first act what's going to happen at the end of the third, you're not paying attention. Yes. Put put down put down your bugles or your screaming yellow zonkers or whatever you're munching on. Pay attention to the show. You know exactly where this is headed. And this time, no. And and it's not just that there's it so far anyway. It doesn't seem like they're just dropping red herrings everywhere. It seems like they're doing a reveal, which sends the show off in a different direction. And you think, okay, now I know where it's going. And then it takes another detour. So it's it seems like it has a real overarching storyline. I mean, some of them just say, okay, we'll have kind of a semblance of an arc, but we'll basically do episodic shows. Because that's what the fans are used to. No, they're not doing that at all. This, this, I mean, 
This is one of the things I do like about the more British style brevity of the seasons. You know, over 28 or 32 episodes, it's really hard to stretch out an arc. But over 10. Over 10, you absolutely can do it. So yeah, I'm I I am I am while not as shocked as you are, I am also again very shocked by how that I am enjoying the show. Anyway, folks, want to thank you for joining us on our little bullshit session. We'll see you in about a week for a return of the UMC. Until later, that was Scott. I am Jeff, and by the way, it smells like brown sugar, cinnamon, and Angelina Aniston. Until later, later. Brad Pitt's dick. (laughs) Understood.